Well, if you would, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. In your Bible or your Bible app or um, in your bulletin. And I believe it may be on the screen too, but as you're turning there to Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 16. Um, I'm thinking this morning and remembering uh, the anxiety that sometimes creeps into my heart as I'm putting my head on my pillow at night, um, as I'm thinking about our church. And I think about our needs. I think I get just a little taste of what Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 when he said, he lists off all of the ways that he has suffered, which I have not suffered any of those ways. But the, the last on the list is this. He says, apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches, Paul says. Uh, we often think of Paul as this brainy theologian, but he was a pastor. And I'm thinking about that anxiety for the church this morning as we read what Paul has to say. And I, I want us to remember that about him as we read through his letter together. Um, He's not, just, he's not trying to just give us a lecture on systematic theology. He's trying to encourage the churches whom he loves. So, would you stand together with me and hear the word of the God who loves us, who loves his church, from Ephesians chapter 1. Now, Eric covered some of this last week, so I'm, I'm going to back up to catch that, but we're going to... I'm going to focus on 19 to 23, but let's start at, let's start at uh, verse 16. Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated as I pray. Father, that's what we pray this morning, that you would give us your spirit. Um, enlighten our eyes so that we can see uh, the power that you have exerted in Christ for us. Oh God, help us, we ask, by your Spirit, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. One of my favorite Old Testament stories uh, is about Elisha, one of the stories of Elisha the prophet. Now, the king of Syria, which was north of Israel, uh, had been warring against, this is in 2 Kings 6, and, and you should read it as a family or by yourself this afternoon. It's a great story. I'm just going to summarize it. The king of Syria had been warring against the people of Israel, raiding different cities, uh, sending raiding parties to, to attack them. But there's a little trouble. The king of Syria kept running into this problem. Every time he would set camp somewhere so that he could raid Israel, someone would find out about it, and somehow Israel would show up and mess up his plans. And so he finally called all of his commanders together, and he said, listen, we've got a problem here. There's, there's a traitor among us. There's a spy or something, because every time we try to raid Israel, they find out about it before we can get there. What's going on here? And one of them said, O king, listen, there are no traitors here, no spies here. What's happening, and I love, I love this, this is, this is what it says. He says, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. <laughs> I just love that. Yeah. The king of Israel hears from Elisha the words that you're speaking in your bedroom. Well, you can imagine how the king of Syria felt about this. Well, well then, where is this? Where is this uh, Elisha, this secret teller? Let's find it. Well, he lives in Dothan. Okay, let's go. So they go to Dothan. And in the middle of the night, the king of Syria and all of his armies and horses and chariots surround Dothan. Now, Dothan sat kind of in a valley, sort of like Chattanooga does. And it had a, a small range of mountains similar to ours surrounding it. And so they're all around uh, Elisha. In, around the city surrounding it. Well, in the morning, Elisha's servant woke up first, and he saw all these horses and chariots and armies surrounding them. And he ran to his master, and he said, Master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, it doesn't say this in here. There's, if, if I could read between the verses, if you're Elisha's servant, would you, would you not say, um, Elisha's getting a little old. He hasn't has his, his eyes checked lately. Do you not see that we're surrounded by these hundreds and hundreds of soldiers and horses and chariots? What are you talking about? The number of those who are with us is more than the number who are with them. I don't, I don't see these people. Elisha, this is probably what's think going on in his head, when Elisha prays and says, Oh Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, 
please strike this people with blindness. And so that he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And then the rest of the story is Elisha goes to the Syrian army and goes, um, sort of the, these are not the droids you're looking for. He said, this, this is not the man you're looking for, nor is it the city. So he led them in their blindness to the capital city of northern Israel, Samaria. And when they got them in there, surrounded in the capital city, Samaria, the Lord opened their eyes again, and now they're the ones surrounded. Now, you have to read the story, but um, the king of Israel said to Elisha, so should I kill them all? And Elisha said, no, fix them a meal, feed them, give them drink, and send them home. And so they did. And the Bible says, and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Ah, what a great story. But I think this story probably influenced Paul's prayer. If not, maybe that's a little more conjecture than is allowed, but Paul's praying the same prayer that Elisha prayed. Open their eyes, Lord. Open the eyes of the Ephesians, Lord, so that they can see that the one Jesus who is with us is more than all who are with them. And we're surrounded by him. I wonder this morning what surrounds you, what surrounds us, God's people, the church. And I, I, I pondered that and I thought, what are some of the things that could be hemming us in and, and, and surrounding us and making us feel powerless this morning. And I, I, wrote, I wrote some of these things down. I wanted to share them with you. For me, personally, I feel overpowered and overwhelmed by my own battles with my me-first heart. I continue to fail to love well, to have courage to move into the life of a person I love to help or serve them. I let my fears get the best of me to paralyze me. I default to ways to numb myself to the pain and hurt and disappointment that I feel or that I've even brought on myself. I'm distracted. Maybe you can relate to that. I thought of maybe a parent this morning who's overwhelmed by the power of the world to influence their child to believe things they were never taught. A parent who is overwhelmed by the power of their child's own heart to pursue relationships that will draw them away from Christ, potentially. A parent who is overwhelmed by the power of their child's own desires that trap them in addictions that seemingly have an unbreakable grip their kids, young or grown. I thought about a wife who longs to be nurtured by a husband who loves Jesus, but after years of prayer, it doesn't seem that he'll ever change, and she feels powerless to help him. I thought of a man who feels powerless to fight his addictions. He feels overruled by the power of his desires. He feels out of control of his own anger 
I thought of a teenager who feels powerless to please all the people in her life, her parents, her teachers, her coaches, her friends. She either feels like she's too much for people or not enough. And I thought about a pastor who's overwhelmed by the needs of his church. Too many people who need to be shepherded. Not enough time or energy or wisdom to do it. Pastor who's concerned that the next generation needs adults who will walk with them, know them, feed them Jesus, lead them. But where's the help? Where are the laborers for the harvest? I don't know where you are this morning, but I wonder if you feel surrounded and powerless. And where, where do these attacks take place? Where does, this, where does this pressure take place? Well, for Elisha, it was in his hometown. It was in Dothan. And for us, it's in our Dothan. It's in, it's in the places God has put us. The enemy is marching right into the places God has put us. Later, Paul in Ephesians six uh, 4 to 6 will describe the arenas where spiritual warfare is happening. And guess what? They're happening in the church. They're happening in marriage. They're happening in parenting relationships and children. And they're happening in the workplace. Those are the things that Paul says in 4 through 6. This is where spiritual warfare is happening. The enemy comes into the place where God has put us, to our dothan. And we need the protection of God's power, but we don't, we don't merely need the protection of God's power. We also need the provision of God's power to do what God's called us to do in the place he's put us. We need his power to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love the people he's given us as Christ has loved us. Loved us. We need the power of God in order to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and follow Jesus we need the power of God in order to make disciples of our neighbors and the nations and the next generation. All of these things that we've been called to do in the place God has put us, we need that power. And Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus to say, do not be afraid for the one who is with us is greater than all those who are against us. He's continually praying and asking God, oh Lord, please open their eyes so that they may see Jesus seated in power in the heavenly places. You see, that's what Elisha's servant wasn't seeing, was the heavenly places. And Paul's asking that God would help us peer into those places and see Jesus and his power. And so in these verses, Paul is praying that God would open our eyes so that we'd know at least three glorious truths about the power of God, what it can do, how far it goes, and who it's for. So I'm going to look at those briefly and then close by just trying to help us figure out what, is that, what does this look like in real life? So what, what can this power do? Paul says it's the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the, great, uh, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ, he's just piling up all of these power words. It's a power that 
is in accordance to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. What can this power do? You know, some of you uh, know that uh, my mom and dad and I and Christine and I, my mom and dad and Christine and I uh, are going to try to build a house for us all um, to live in. And so we got a couple of acres down on 127 um, and, you know, trying to get ready to build. But right along the highway, blocking our access to our property is a grove of pine trees that's about as wide as from the front of these seats to the back of those seats. We can't get into the place to build this place that we want to live together because there's something in the way. So Joe Smith hired this fellow who has a big, big, powerful machine. It's an excavator. This is one of those RRR, uh, you know, power tool kind of things. Big old thing with a bucket scoop on it. To me, I thought it was a little overkill because it's huge. Um, and so I went out there to, to check it out, and I wasn't there to get to see the work being done, but I saw the results. And uh, Joe, Joe had been there, and he watched it, and this is what Joe told me that this machine did. It snapped trees in half like they were toothpicks, and then it pulled them out of the dirt like they were candles on a birthday cake. And then it just piled them all into a giant bonfire and burned them all up. I was like, yeah, I like that. Yes. And every one of us wishes we could drive that thing. Um, what Joe was describing was the working of the excavator's great might that it worked to remove those trees and clear a path and give us access to our place. Now, I wasn't there to get to see the great work that the excavator did. I saw the results. The trees that once blocked our way to the highway were gone, and they were piled up in a big bonfire, and I saw them burn. And now there was a clear path through. Now we have access to this new place where a home will be built for us. And friends, we can know. This is what Paul is praying that we would know that God has immeasurably great power. And we can know this great power because, not because we were there when it happened, but we, because we have the eyewitness accounts of people who saw Jesus resurrected from the dead, who witnessed his ascension into heaven to the right hand of the Father. We have Paul's eyewitness account that the resurrected Jesus revealed his magnificent power and blinding glory to him on the road to Damascus which proved that God had set Jesus at his right hand, that Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is the king in the heavenly places. And he reigns there with power, and he has all authority to protect and provide for the church that Paul was persecuting. And he even has all authority and power to turn an enemy into a friend and a son. Everything that stood in the way of our path to God was snapped into pieces like toothpicks, pulled up like candles out of a cake, and set on fire. It's gone because of the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. Satan, sin, death, it's all done. 
access has been cleared for us, for our inheritance. That's what God's power can do and has done. And it's that power, that resurrection power, that God promises is for us. But before I get there, there's another question. How far does this power go? I mean, it's all right if he has power in a local place. Okay, great. But, but how far does this power go? He goes on, verse 20. It's the power that he worked in Christ when he raised them from the dead and seated in him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Here's, here's how far. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Four words about power and authority in case, you know, just to cover them all. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things. How far does this power go? It goes above and above and now and forever. When Pilate looked at the beaten and bloody Jesus and said to him, do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus, and I imagine him saying it gently, said to him, you would have no power over me, no authority over me, unless it had been given to you from above. And now all of us who are in Christ can say to all the rulers and authorities and powers and dominions of this present evil age, you would have no power over me, no authority over me, unless it had been given to you by the one who died and rose again for me because he loves me. The, ones who, the one whose hands are nail scarred because he loves me. You have no authority over me at all unless it be given to you by the one who works all things for my good. Because he loves me and gave himself for me. From the one who prays for me and pleads for me at the right hand of his father. So do your worst to me in this age. I'll be okay in the next one. That's how far his power goes. And then who is this power for? In verse 19, excuse me. <coughs> In verse 19, Paul said, it's the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, toward followers of Jesus, toward people who believe and trust in Jesus. And in 22 and 23, he said, that God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all. So friends, the resurrecting and ruling power of Jesus is for us and it's in us. It's for us as individual believers. It was given toward, it's toward us who believe. It's for us as a church, Mountain Fellowship. Jesus was given as the head over all things for mountain fellowship. 
And I have to tell you as a pastor, I have to, I have to take, I, I do, I take comfort in that when I think about it and believe it. That no matter what it looks like is going on with us as a congregation, Jesus has been given as the head of over all things for us. But his power is not just for us, it's in us as his body. He's the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Friends, we're so united to Jesus that his power is our power. It's in us. It fills us because he fills us. Jesus has chosen to unite us to himself like a body is united to its head, like a bride becomes one with her groom, like a branch abides in a vine, and like a sheep stays close to its shepherd. We are never without the resurrection power of Jesus. It's in us because he is in us, individually and as a body, as a, as a church. And so Paul will say this again at the end of chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. We can't even ask or think him to do what he's able to do. According to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So Paul Praise that we would know what the power of God in Christ can do. He wants us to know how far it goes so that we don't worry that we're going to step outside of that powerful realm. He wants us to know that he will use that resurrecting, ruling power for us and in us. He promises he will do it. He would have to deny himself, his own body, in order to not give us the power that he has for us. And so my question to conclude all this is, okay, now what? What am, what am I supposed to do with this? I mean, all this is great. And you might be saying, well, I, I think I do know these things about God's power. I haven't necessarily learned anything new this morning. But, but what I want is I want to see that power at work in me, in my family, in, in my church. I want to see it happening. Me too. <laughs> and the Ephesians could have said the same thing because they've already seen this power at work. They already knew this power. Back in verse 15, which we didn't read this morning, Paul said, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And therefore, I continue to pray for you. So Paul is saying, the power is already at work in you. I've seen it. Otherwise, you would never have faith in Jesus, and you would never love one another. But I'm praying that you'll know it more. Paul himself prayed, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to share in his suffering." Paul admits that God's power has already been at work in them, 
but he prays that they would know it more. He doesn't give us tips or tricks on how to access this power. All he offers is, the, is a prayer that we would see it more. And that's, frankly, that's frustrating to me. I hope you feel that too. Come on, Paul, tell us. How do we tap into the power? He just says, I'm just going to pray that you see it and know it. As I wrestled with that this week, I was, I was thinking, okay, Lord, but I, I, need, I need somehow to help us think about this in a practical, real-life picture of, of this interaction with your power that's in Jesus, that's in us, that we have already, but you want us to know more. What does that look like? And, and so I thought of the woman with the uh, uterine hemorrhage, the uterine bleeding in Mark in other places, but Mark chapter 5. If you remember her, she had been seeking help to to heal from this continual flow of blood for 12 years. No doctor could help her. She'd spent all her money, and the Bible says it only got worse. And Mark says that um, she had heard about Jesus. Um, and just before that story in Mark, Jesus uh, calmed the storms with a word on the Sea of Galilee, and he cast out uh, the legion of demons out of a man. So stories were going around about this powerful Jesus. She'd heard about him. And so as he was on his way to go help somebody else with a sick little girl, there's these crowds pressing all around him, and the disciples are there too, and this woman thinks to herself, If I could just touch the tassel on his garment, I'd be made well. That's that's how much confidence in the power of Jesus she had. She said, I don't need to talk to him. I don't need to do anything. I just need to, I could just reach his garment. And she does it. And she's instantly healed. She can feel it. And then Jesus stops. Um... Who touched me? And the disciples are like, uh, Lord, who didn't touch you? I mean, look. At it. Um, no, no. Where is the one who touched me? Because I felt power go out from me. And the woman comes and she tells the story. I'm, I'm the one. Uh, and here, here I am. And he says, daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. So I thought of that story because, you know, there's not many places where Jesus says power went out from him to someone. Now, the temptation is to turn this into some sort of formula where how do I get power from Jesus? Well, step number one, have a bleeding problem. No, we don't do this. This But this this is what I learned from this woman. She knew she was helpless. She, had, she couldn't fix it. She went to every possible person who could fix it. She spent all of her resources to fix it. It was beyond her. She knew she was helpless. Honestly, she was helpless before she asked if she went to them for help. She just had to discover how helpless she was. 
So she knew and admitted that she was helpless. And then she heard that Jesus had amazing power. And so she humbled herself and let her need drive her to him. And she went looking for him. And she trusted that he had all that she needed. She, touching his robe was not a magic formula thing. It was about him as a person. <laughs> she was just trying to get to him. He was the one she trusted. He's the one with the power she needed. So she reached out to Jesus as her only hope. And then he said, Jesus said this, that her faith connected her to his power. Her trust in him. And you might say, well, I I said, I thought of the story and I thought, well, okay, that's great, Lord, but I have done that a hundred times about particular things in my life. I've admitted my need. I've trusted you're the only one who could do it. I've cried out to you. I've reached out to you. And nothing. You didn't fix it. And I started to think, what, was there anybody in the Bible who, who did all these things and you didn't fix it for them? Paul, the guy who wrote this letter. Paul, look what he says in 2 Corinthians. Well, first, he did it He did one time and it did work. God did fix it. He said in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, he says, we, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead, who has resurrection power. And he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So there was a time when Paul felt helpless, and he reached out to the God who raises the dead, and God delivered him. Just like that woman. But there was a time when God didn't. 2 Corinthians 12. Paul says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the, the revelations, the visions that he was having, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times I did what this woman did. I reached out to grab the edge of his robe. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So here's a man who's not getting power to get fixed, or to get whatever's going on fixed. It's just power to keep trusting Jesus. That's it. 
I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Martin Luther once said, if you feel within yourself the urge to call upon God and to pray and plead and knock, then grace is already there. Then call upon, God, then call upon that grace and thank God. Grace can never forsake him who despairs of himself. And what he's saying is, if you are crying out to God like that woman did out of your powerlessness, and you're pleading with God like Paul did, then his power's already at work. <laughs> because you wouldn't cry out to him unless he gave you the power to do it. And this is, this is, this is a verse I come back to. Paul in Colossians 1 says, he's praying again for the Colossians, and it's very similar to what he does in Ephesians, but he prays that they would be strengthened with all power, according to Christ's glorious might, for what? For all endurance and patience with joy. Friends, it takes the resurrection power of Jesus just for you to endure with patience and hopefully joy. So I want to encourage you, if you are reaching out to Jesus for his power, and he's not fixing the problem, but he's enabling you to keep coming back to him and endure with patience and keep coming and keep coming and keep pleading and keep pleading and trusting that his grace is sufficient, then you can be sure his resurrection power is at work in you because you could not do that in your own strength. And so, here's what I encourage us to do. Join Paul in his prayer. Join Elisha in his prayer and ask, plead with God, open my eyes so that I can see Jesus in the heavenly places reigning and ruling in power for me. Join Paul in his prayer and plead for open eyes. And then, secondly, as you pray for God to open your eyes to see his power, Put your eyes on the places you're most likely to see the power of Jesus for you. Let me, let me try to... Keep putting your eyes on those places where God will show you the power of Jesus. As you pray, now open my eyes. Because you can keep looking and looking and looking. But if you're not looking where God tends to show his power and show us Jesus, you're probably not going to see him. You see, the bleeding woman came to Jesus because of what she had heard about him. She saw him with her ears, <laughs> what she heard about him. In Acts 2.42, it says that the the new church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the prayers, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread to this table. Why? Because they knew that if you want to see the view, you've got to look through the window. If you want to see Jesus, look out the window. And these are windows. Come here. Keep coming here. Hear the word of God preached. Hear Jesus 
lifted up in preaching, hear him pictured, see him pictured in the table, in, in worship, in our fellowship together. Keep looking for the power of Jesus in all those places as you ask God to open your eyes to see it. I hope that, I hope that makes sense. And then when you see him, reach out and trust him. He has the power, and he knows the best way to use it in your life. Trust. Trust that that may only mean that he just helps you endure. And that he uses his resurrection power to help you keep trusting him, no matter what. Father, help us. putting us in the places where you most ordinarily show us the power of Jesus for us. And this table is one of those places. And so even as we come this morning, don't, don't let us just see this as uh, another ritual that we do as followers of Jesus, that, you know, it, it's bread, it's juice, it's nothing special, you know, Father, the the tassel of a robe wasn't much special. But it wasn't about the tassel on the robe. It was about the one wearing it. So this meal, let this meal be the tassel on Jesus' robe for us. And when we come, when we come, help us not just to touch the bread and the cup, but help our hearts to Grab hold of Jesus, who's represented here as the one who loved us and gave himself for us and who is alive. We ask that you would meet with us, Holy Spirit, even as we take this meal together, help us open our eyes so that we can see that Jesus is for us and he outnumbers all those who are against us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.